Welcome to this podcast in our series of five podcasts for this year's Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards for 2023. Every year for the past six years, we have travelled the country, north and south, east and west, in search of the best, most interesting, the boldest new ventures that are innovating and disrupting in their sectors. Many of those are in the field of looking for more sustainable solutions to a particular business activity. Many have a social purpose. They have uh, ambitions to make the world a better place, which go beyond simply making a profitable business as an end in itself. But we've selected today a group that particularly fall under the headings of sustainability and purpose. I'm Martin van der Weer. I'm the business editor of The Spectator. I'm one of the founders of these awards and I'm joined by three fellow judges. I'm going to start by inviting Michelle White, representing the sponsor of the awards, Investec, to introduce herself and Investec. Thanks, Martin. Yes, Investec are the proud partners on the awards for the second year running. And as a firm founded by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs, we've been long-term supporters of business owners internationally and here in the UK. I'm representing Investec Wealth and Investments UK, which we've recently merged with the Rathbones Group, meaning that we're now represented in 23 towns and cities up and down the UK. So it's been an absolute Pleasure touring the country with you, Martin, meeting the finalists and looking forward to talking about the sustainability and purpose-focused businesses today. Thank you, Michelle. So our first guest judge today is Eva Dimitriadis, who has a special interest in the sustainability segment of these awards. Eva, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hi, Martin. Thank you for having me. I'm Eva Dimitriadis. I'm the CEO of Conduit Connect. And we run an impact investment fund, the Conduit EIS Impact Fund, which indeed is entirely focused on businesses with a sustainable and impact mission. So I was thrilled to see so many applications to the Spectator Innovator of the Year Awards that really meet our criteria and I feel could have a huge impact. Thank you. And our second guest judge today is Clive Borden, a veteran of these awards, an early winner. He'll tell us about that. And he helps us judge the Midlands finalists. Clive. Thank you, Martin. Not sure about veteran, but hey, who knows? <laughs> so by background, chartered accountant, so apologies all for that. But I'm, I'm lucky enough to hold a variety of roles, including Chief Operating Officer at Warwick Music. And we were lucky enough to be one of the first recipients of what was the Disruptor of the Year Awards uh, when, when the awards began uh, a few years ago. We exist to make uh, music joyful and fun for all, but particularly focused on children. And we, we manufacture a range of sustainable, uh, brightly coloured instruments, particularly focused on trombones and trumpets, which we now distribute around the world, uh, hold a Queen's Award for, for Enterprise for. And it's a thrill to be engaged in these awards again and a really difficult group to talk through and judge because there's so many you know outstanding businesses ahead so back to you fine thank you very much well as you've heard we have met some 44 finalists around the country this year very many of them i would say the majority of them have a sustainability angle to what they do and they have a 
social purpose to what they do. Uh, so the selection we're talking about today are, are just one cut, as it were, of the whole set of finalists with those kind of interests. But they have a special interest in those things. And I'm going to start by inviting the judges to talk about two which are, as it were, more purely in the social purpose end of the spectrum. One is called Coracle, and it's about digital learning in prisons. The other is called Beam, and it supports disadvantaged and homeless people to get jobs, homes and skills. So let's start with Coracle. It's digital learning on offline laptops for inmates in, so far, 86 prisons in England and Wales. They have access to education in their cells. It's one of the few companies permitted by the Ministry of Justice and the prison service to provide that kind of education. It is a response to the understaffing and the bad conditions that are well known across the, the prison estate in the UK. And it's a clearly beneficial thing to provide education to prisoners so that they can re be rehabilitated, rehabilitate themselves and with luck, not become re-offenders. There we are. So, Eva, you uh, were interested in this one. What was your view of this? Yeah, this one really sings to me. I mean, obviously, it has a huge social purpose, but I think it has a, a huge economic impact as well. I mean, we know there's there are plenty of data around re-offending and the risk of inmates uh, ending up back in prison once they've left. And I think education and access to jobs is a huge reason for that. And so I, I really admire the mission of this of this company. And I think it has not only social impact, but also huge economic impact. So they're providing prisoners with secure laptops. I mean, they're not browsing the internet and, and playing on social media. These laptops have been set up with education and really it's focused on sort of closing the digital skills gap. And if we think about the UK and the way that our uh, job market is going. I used to work for a cybersecurity fund, and at the time, there were about 2 million empty roles in cybersecurity as a field. And so if even just a fraction of, of people coming out of prison are equipped to be able to fill those sorts of roles, there's a genuine need there. So I think this is really, really interesting, and, and the founder who set this up seems uh, to have had great traction already uh, across England and Wales, already in 86 prisons so um, I like it very much. It's got an interesting model and, um, and there are some testimonials already from the users and students, shall we call them, themselves. Very good. Clive? Yeah, look, there's a lot to like about how James has built the business. I mean, it's an interesting adventure and innovation. He actually started in a different segment, uh, was focused on shipping and the fact that ships go out of a range of internet and Wi-Fi and started looking at that problem for a, for a previous career. And he's worked really hard over a number, number of years to break down a number of barriers, no pun intended, to get into the prison estate. And he's talked, talked a lot about the future opportunities, you know, in terms of export. He's starting now to look at Canada and America, North America in particular, as, as a potential export channel. He's done a hell of a lot of work around the technology to get it to be robust enough. I think the only question we felt in, in, in our sort of panel was around the scalability of the business in terms of it has a lot of service around it in terms of having to go into the prison, service the equipment, make sure they're, they're, they're still working and the like. And that hence that might inhibit how he grows the business from here. But there's a huge amount to like and a, a very, very interesting entrepreneur and entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. 
and um, a very admirable purpose, we can say. As we can also say of the second one in this little subgroup, which is called BEAM. BEAM supports disadvantaged people, homeless people, refugees and others to get jobs, homes and skills. It's a tech platform that allows the public to connect with those people who are experiencing homelessness, fund their goals and so on, uh, provide a kind of mentoring support. It's technology, it says, brings together government, charities, businesses, landlords and concerned citizens to create a scalable long-term solution for the homeless. There we are. So we heard a passionate pitch from the founder, Alex Stephanie, who'd like to comment on this one. Clive? Yeah, happy to. So wasn't in the room when, when the founder presented, but a really interesting case. It's quite different to most we're judging today. This is, in my mind, very much about process and process and process improvement as opposed to pure tech or pure science. That's not discrediting what they're doing. It's just more a case of this is a solution to a market problem, competing against mostly privatised companies who are you know, servicing contracts, Beam has taken a very different approach to that marketplace and how they service and how they fund themselves. Lots to like in that. I guess that sort of the main questions going forward were, at the moment, it appears to be mostly London-centric. And as someone that works out of the regions, particularly in a more rural economy, I'm, in, I'm interested in how they're going to work through some of the problems, whether it's connectivity through the technology or whether just accessing services and, and slightly more fragmented services. But a really interesting business, doing a very, very impactful thing. The other thing I particularly liked on their website was that they talk about the failures of their service and that's quite uh, refreshing they talk about the the you know when things don't work what happens to the people that they're working with that drop out that it's a really interesting way of you know being going back to the social impact they're looking at both the pros and the cons of their delivery i thought that was particularly interesting and particularly insightful ava what did you think yeah i really like this i've come across being before i mean it's interesting to see two businesses both serving marginalized communities, but in a very different way. And uh, the outcome is really focused on gainful employment, which, as we know, is a huge leap to independence and, of course, saving the taxpayer lots of money. In Beam's uh, proposal, they talk about a £47 million saving of taxpayer money uh, by solving this problem. And I, I think that's probably even an understatement. They're really focusing on that 271,000 homeless people in the UK um, and refugees. And so, yeah, it's, it's probably not unicorn material, but not all every business needs to be. They have already had a huge amount of success. And as, as you say, Clive, I think it's nice to recognise failure as well. So I'm very, very keen on this. And I think they've already demonstrated how successful this model can be. Thank you. OK, I'm going to move on into the rest of the companies for, for this podcast, which are all environmentally focused. I'm going to start with two that are in the business of, of measurement, essentially. Agri-carbon which provides accurate soil carbon audits and aqua metrology systems, which provides online remote water quality monitoring of contaminants that put human health and the environment at risk. So I'm going to ask Eva to talk first about aqua metrology, if you'd like to. Yes, it's really struck me. One of the areas we focus a lot on is 
regenerative agriculture and how damaging that is. We, we see so many news headlines on this in the UK at the moment to our rivers and our water supplies. And I think the fact that there is a business that exists that can remotely monitor water quality and warn us of the contaminants that are posing health risks is really vital. And I can see why this would be essential for any municipalities and utility businesses. Um, But what I think is also interesting is they're working with utilities to reduce their carbon footprint. So this is really driven by regulation, but also by clear consumer need. Very good. Clive? So following on from Ava's points, um, I mean, what I found particularly interesting here was the way they've navigated to paying customers. You know, it's a slow industry that they work in. And the way that they've navigated, so the the description given is that the US regulator has heavier fines as part of punishment, whereas the UK regulators generally are less punitive in the way they go go about their actions. And therefore, the business has been built largely through working with US-based clients who see the, the return on the investment because they're preventing the fines and they're also improving the service and service delivery. I find that really interesting because part of entrepreneurship is navigating to the money. It's all very well having a great product. What I like about this business is that, yes, it's been going a long time, but they've done that. They've done it well. They've got a really interesting service model that they're working on. So product alongside an ongoing servicing cost. So you can see how the business could stale very quickly once this sort of phase is gone through. Lots to like about the business, as Ava says. Uh, and the, the other key thing is they've got a lot of science in there, 40 plus patents. There's a lot that they can work off now. So yeah, a really interesting business to review. Michelle, I think you heard the pitch in Manchester on this one. Yes, it was great, wasn't it? And yes, those patents are obviously key and what is leading them, you know, as a great British business elsewhere in the world now because the technology is really cutting edge. And um, it sort of brought it to life for us, I think, when Rick talked about the fact that if a teaspoon of ink were dropped into an oil tanker, their technology could detect that within 15 minutes. So in terms of determining whether water is safe, to use that is really one of their big aims very good well it's a world market leader in its own technology and it's making big inroads in the u.s so that's a proud example of british entrepreneurship and science there we are that's aqua metrology the other one in this little subsection about measurement as i say is agri-carbon the world's first provider of affordable accurate soil carbon stock audit. Stuart Arbuckle, who talked to about this, runs this business essentially from a farm base in Dundee, close to Dundee, and it is sort of revolutionising the measurement of carbon in soil and the optimization of soil quality for farmers. Again, Michelle, would you like to comment? Sure, yes, this was very interesting. So a company that's filed three patents to date relating to this sort of novel mechanical solution and I think we were shown weren't we a sort of one of the the extraction utensils that are used which was fascinating to see what 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 they're actually doing and and this reminded me of one of our um, Manchester businesses actually where lots of the entrepreneurs have talked about you know you've got to be doing things faster or better or more cost efficiently than other people that's how you win and he talked about um They've got 1,500 samples going through the lab per day in the way they've got it set up versus 20 to 30 per day in the nearest competitor. So they're certainly winning on that 
faster, bigger battle. Hmm. And it's both a practical, literally down to earth, mm. practical business, but it's also a big data business. It's building an enormous database of soil information to draw on. Clive? Yeah, which, which were really the questions I had in my head reading the application cold as someone that wasn't at that particular judging lunch. It was, it was really about how they scale from here. You know, it's product alongside service, if I understood correctly, and it's small and promising with some good science behind it. Relatively young company, five years old, which in, in innovation terms is often very, very young, but lots ahead in terms of the commercial impact and, and how to prove it. But what I liked is they've already looked overseas, they've already looked to expand, they've got 44 heads in the team. So they're obviously doing a lot of the right things in an area, you know, carbon accounting is, is quite a controversial area, certainly from a finance perspective. So I'm interested in how they develop that going forward and, and where that sits. But clearly an interesting business at the right time, the right place, and keen to see their progress from here on in. Very good. So that's agri-carbon. So we have three more in this group for our sustainability category. They're all in various aspects of the energy world. They're Celtic Renewables, Serafi Energy and SunAmp. I think we'll start with SunAmp, which is a pioneer of thermal storage solutions, a form of thermal battery to put alongside an electric heat pump and kind of revolutionise the way domestic heating and hot water would work, that it would replace the big hot water tank in your home with a smaller and much more efficient thermal storage unit referred to as a battery, but it's not like a normal electrical battery. Anyway, it's called SunAmp. It's a very high-growth business. We met the founder, Andrew Bissell in Edinburgh and Clive I think this one caught your eye yeah no really interesting I mean it's, it's at a slightly different stage to a number of the others we're talking about today founded in 2005 slightly further on but certainly much bigger much more commercialized than a number of the other companies that we're talking about today and therefore you sort of expect different metrics different realizations and, and this company you know appears to be the right place at the right time growing fast, going overseas. I mean, the scale of it's really impressive, 171 patents, particularly like the fact that it's able to work in harder-to-access environments. So one of the retrofit issues with energy, so you look at car charging, for example, is a lot of cities, flats and other things. This appears to solve a number of the problems in terms of energy storage at heights and, and some of the areas that we have to address, certainly in the UK. So really struck by it, found it found an interesting application. Yes, I think Andrew talked about the thermal storage that they're able to create being up to 10 times more energy dense whilst occupying between 65 to 90% less space. And he really sort of majored on that point, Martin, didn't he? That, mm. you know, it's all very well to say we want everyone to have heat pumps, but how do you get rid of combi boilers and replace them with such things when it requires such a large water tank as part of that sort of replacement story? So... These are now being sold at scale, as Clive says. You know, this is a later stage large company in a 50 billion euro or dollar market. So big market, they've come up with a solution. Heat loss is far better handled with these than a traditional water tank. And he talked again back to this cost point. You know, you've got to produce something that's cost efficient and effective. They're able to sell it sort of price for price, as he described it against a water tank at the moment, but they'll soon go below the cost of a water tank in terms of the cost of their production. So that will be a big turning point for them as well. Very impressive. 
Okay, next in this little group of energy-related businesses, it's Celtic Renewables. This is one of our Scottish entrants, and it is producing sustainable green chemicals from unwanted wastes and residues. That's the brief summary. But it is extracting chemicals such as acetone, butanol, ethanol, and so on from effluents, in particular starting with effluent from distilleries that are otherwise just going into the sea in beautiful coastal places in the in the West Highlands of Scotland. For example, uh, it has a plant at, at Grangemouth, one of the great Scottish industrial complexes, big, great big oil refinery there, and it has great potential for extracting useful chemicals from the residues of industrial processes. Clive? As a humble linguist and accountant, the science of this particular business is probably beyond me. Um, so I'll focus on the business uh, and, what, and what I see from, from the application, having, again, not been in the room for this particular judging process. But, I mean, it's, it's just over 10 years old, started with three people. It's raised £55 million of investment and it's now you know, employing an awful lot more than three starting to commercialise the technology. I mean, that's really the stumbling block for me is, you know, if we were to see this again in a year or two's time, you know, it's going to clearly be much more significant as a commercial concern because most of the risk ahead is actually it's got to build large plants, if I understand correctly. So the science is proven, but it's really about how they commercialise, particularly with capital cost required. Hmm. But, uh, you know, clearly does, dare I say, good stuff, dealing with sort of... Um, chemicals and removing them going back to the uh, some of the points we've talked about earlier in terms of taking things out of the environment so lots to like apologies for not being the scientific expert on the panel but um but at that point i'll hand over to whoever you've got next as your as your victim yes very good ava did you want to comment on this one celtic renewables yeah it's, it's very interesting space i mean with the transition to net zero we need to be thoughtful about chemicals and emissions in every aspect and the fact that they're focusing on distilleries as one of their first markets is quite interesting to me uh, with this sort of model as Clive says you know they, they've got to commercialize and show that the, the money's there obviously they've done some really successful pilots I think what's interesting is you have to have that supply and demand and it seems that they do you know the supply of the waste that needs to be cleaned up but also the off takers on the other side to take what they're producing so um very interested to continue watching it. And I think uh, they've done quite well as well with fundraising so far. So definitely uh, a huge amount of potential. And I like the name as well. Yeah. So a very interesting piece of science in an early stage of commercial development, one to watch. There we are. So the last one in this little group of energy-based businesses is Serafi Energy, which aims to use the Earth's heat from deep wells and end-of-life oil and gas wells, of which there are many thousands around the globe, to create baseload energy, which will help build energy security. It's good for the environment because it's using heat that's coming out of these holes that have long been drilled in the ground. And you can see that it can help fossil fuel companies transition to net zero and clean up their act. Ava, would you like to comment on this one? Yeah, this one really, really stood out for me. I think it's founded by a group of extremely clever people, all of whom, let's say, are recovering oil and gas professionals and have seen the light. And um, a couple, I think, have even stepped out of retirement to follow this vision. 
But it's a no-brainer, really. There are so many hundreds and hundreds of, of retired oil wells, some, some of which, frankly, are, are leaking and causing their own new destruction to the local environment. Uh, but it's a global opportunity. And if they can crack through their technology and their IP, uh, the way to harness geothermal energy, which is, frankly, a limitless supply, that is a, an enormous opportunity and one that I think uh, is waiting to be tapped. So I think it's extremely clever. They've also filed for a few patents, not as many as one of the previous applicants, Clive, but three patents pending. And they've been winning all sorts of grants around their net zero ambitions because uh, this is something that we have a huge amount of opportunity to solve for. These wells are just sitting empty and ignored and there is a lot that we can do both in the local areas where these wells exist, but also hopefully what I'd love to see is them getting that energy back into the grid and on a more commercial basis. So from a security perspective, really fantastic. And in the transition to net zero, another thing that really stood out to me about this company is for such a young business, I mean, they only just launched in COVID in 2020, their ESG reporting is outstanding. They have reports of the level of a, a large multinational bank. And the good news is it's actually authentic and what's in it is true. Uh, so anyone who's interested in this space, I urge you to have a look at their STG reporting and the way that they've systematically gone through the governance of all aspects of their business. Um, for me as an investor, that was very comforting to see. Not an investor in Sarafi, by the way, just with my investor hat on. <laughs> okay, understood. I think that covers that one very nicely. Now we've got one left in this pack today. It would be unfair to call it the joker in the pack, but it doesn't really doesn't really fit into any category. It's called Nature Space Partnership, and it's a very unique business to do with great crested newts. Great crested newts, you're thinking? Yes. Well, every building development, every house building development, you know, business park that's anywhere near water or marshy land and so on across the country has to be aware of the lives of the great crested newt in that territory. Are there newts there? Because they are a very protected species. So this is a business started by a former government scientist, Tom Chu, who was particularly interested in this field. And it's essentially mapping the UK for the presence of protected newts. And it's able to provide developers with a kind of early warning map of their site and their area to tell them if they're going to have a newt problem. And it's a surprisingly big business. It's already got sales revenues of more than £4 million because there's a lot of newts about. <laughs> and so there we are. So it's a very clever niche business using satellite data, computer power to model the distribution of the species and give developers a heads up if they're likely to be in trouble on the great crested newt front. So, Michelle, what did you think? You met them? Yes, I like this. Not something I particularly knew a lot about before that lunch, but I loved the premise, really. You know, the, Tom was talking about how they really can help us get those houses built, you know, that we so desperately need across the UK. And um, they've recently started working with 30 more 
local authorities and councils. So they're now working with over 60 of those. So they're sort of on quite a big scale up part of the, the hockey stick, if you like. And there was both the sort of need for it, so the big developers and just individual household owners who often need to prove that they're not going to do damage with respect to newts, which are an icon of clean, fresh water, as I now know. But then also working with farmers, wasn't it, Martin and Clive? And on the other side, for people to then sort of replenish newt resources, if you like, and create a revenue stream from that activity, actually. So I thought it was quite clever on all fronts. Look, I'm, I'm gutted to find out that Martin didn't know more about newts before this session. But um, what, what I found really interesting was two things. Tom, despite being, I think he's kind to say he's not in his early 20s. Tom is slightly older. But it shows to me that entrepreneurship and innovation, you know, age is no barrier. Tom is towards the, you know, the later stages of a full working career, but saw the opportunity, saw something he knew a lot about, saw an application started a business and now is running a multi-million pound business, organically growing with a few friends and families, angel investors. What's there not to like about that? The second thing then, very topical given the you know, recent political statements around increased house building and the like, this is a need that we have in the UK and for that matter beyond. And actually, Martin described it as a niche business. I think the opportunity here is that he has some technology that is, you know, it's our niche, but actually what we learned during the judging panel was there's a lot of other applications of this technology across lots of other species and therefore actually the business has some real you know, strengths to grow from here on in. So I, I think a really interesting case study, but not the norm. And like I said, gutted that Martin isn't our new expert amongst us, but at this point, over maybe, to Ava, I maybe, guess. Maybe Ava, <laughs> Ava, Ava Newt's new, one of your special subjects. <laughs> Yes, just to pick up on the applications. I mean, I'm definitely not a new tech expert. And I think um, <laughs> I was sort of smiling when I read in the application that they have a, s a support network of newt officers. So it's from high tech, you know, using eDNA and satellite technology to low tech newt officers. But my immediate thought was, and perhaps you know the answer because you were at the lunch, I, I wasn't covering this region. But could they not use this? I appreciate newts are an endangered species, but for tracking and reporting on many other kinds of biodiversity that we want to protect. Tom did talk about that, didn't he? So, yes, why not do something similar for bats, badgers, and why not other regions of the world where their rules and regulations are very similar? So, yes, certainly got sights on Perhaps expanding bed this. bugs in France. <laughs> so there we are. That's our group for today of entrants for our awards that are in the field of sustainability and social purpose. As I said at the beginning of the total of 44 finalists, very many of the others also have sustainability angles, both some of the consumer product ones we've met and talked about, some of the industrial manufacturing and engineering ones are also in those areas. But these we thought made an interesting group together. Hope you've enjoyed listening to our podcast today and that you'll enjoy the whole series. So thanks for being with us. Thanks to the judges and goodbye. Thanks for listening to this podcast sponsored by Investec. To find out how Investec can help you personally or your business, visit www.investec.com.